Welcome back to Crown on Canvas, the tutors in art and history. In this season of Accessible Art History, the podcast, we're using portraits to explore the magnificent and sometimes maligned Tudor dynasty. From Henry VII to Elizabeth I, this family ruled England for 118 years. And don't forget, the six wives of Henry VIII will cover them too. Each episode has an accompanying blog post, so make sure to check it out using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to go on this exciting art historical journey with you. Welcome to the season premiere of Crown on Canvas, the tutors in art and history. Naturally, we are kicking things off with the reign of the first Tudor monarch, Henry VII. But before we dive into his rule, we need to understand his lineage and fight for the throne. Remember to check out the blog post linked in the show notes so you can see the portrait of Henry that I'm referring to throughout today's episode. This should be an exciting one to start the season off with, so without further ado, here we go. Today's work is a portrait of young Henry Tudor. Art historians have dated this work to between 1470 and 80, when Henry was living in exile in France. Although it's not in the best shape today, there are some details that we can still make out. Firstly, we should examine the future king's facial expressions. His lips are in a thin line and his eyes are slightly pinched. This gives the impression that he is worried or stressed. Next, let's discuss the jewelry. On Henry's hat is a small ruby brooch. During the War of the Roses, the Lancastrian family, from which Henry's mother was descended from, was represented by a red rose. So it's only natural that he showed himself wearing a big ruby. Finally, the chain around his neck was a symbol of rank and power. Today, this work hangs in a small provincial museum in France. Now that we have a picture of Henry VII in our minds, let's dive into his biography. To start, we have to go back a generation, though. Henry was the only son of Edmund Tudor, Earl of Richmond, and Margaret Beaufort. For the Lancastrian side of the War of the Roses, this was a match made in lineage heaven. Edmund was born on February 11, 1430. He was a son of a Welsh courtier named Owen Tudor and Catherine of Valois, the widow of King Henry V of England. His birth made him the half-brother of King Henry VI, and he was raised at court. Despite his royal connections, though, his early life was marked with instability due to the political turmoil at the time. In 1455, Edmund married Margaret Beaufort, a descendant of the House of Lancaster through John of Gaunt. This marriage further solidified his connection to the Lancastrian cause. Unfortunately, his marriage was cut short when he was captured by Yorkist forces during the War of the Roses in 1455. In 1456, and imprisoned at Carmethic Castle, during his imprisonment, Edmund fell seriously ill and he died on November 3, 1456, at the age of only 26. Margaret Beaufort was seven months pregnant when Edmund died. Born on May 31, 1443, Margaret was a key player in the events that led to the establishment of the Tudor dynasty. She was the daughter of John Beaufort, 1st Duke of Somerset, and Margaret Beauchamp of Bletsois. As a member of the Beaufort family, which I mentioned were descendants of John of Gout, a third son of King Edward III, and his mistress-turned-wife, Catherine Swinford, Margaret's royal lineage made her a potential claimant to the English throne. She gave birth to her only child, Henry Tudor, the future Henry VII, when she was only 13 years old and two months after her husband died in captivity. Despite this setback, Margaret remained a staunch supporter of the Lancastrian cause throughout the War of the Roses. She married two more times, with her fourth and final marriage to Thomas Stanley being a particularly strategic alliance. Later in her life as the mother of the reigning monarch, Margaret held great influence during her son's reign. She was a devoted patron of education and founded colleges at both Oxford and Cambridge, which emphasized the importance of learning to her. Margaret Beaufort's devout religious convictions and support for charitable causes also defined her public image. Margaret Beaufort passed away on June 29, 1509, just a few months after her own son's death and the succession of her grandson, King Henry VIII. Her life's dedication to securing the Tudor dynasty's place on the English throne ensured her lasting impact on English history and the stability of the Tudor era. The future Henry VII of England was born on January 28, 1457. Due to his father's death, he was initially raised in the household of his uncle, Jasper Tudor. But Jasper was exiled not long after for fighting for the Lancastrian cause. 
His lands and the earldom of Pembroke were confiscated and given to a Yorkist named William Herbert. Henry spent his childhood here until the Yorkist victory at the Battle of Tewkesbury in 1471. Due to this, he went into exile in France for his own safety. He lived in the court of his mother's cousin, Queen Margaret of Anjou, and received an education in politics, diplomacy, and military strategy. Henry wouldn't return to England for over a decade, spending his time plotting his return and claim to the throne. Next, we're going to dive into Henry's return to England, but first, let's take a quick break. Hi there, my name is Annalisa, and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that's curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways you can support my cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support Accessible Art History monetarily. However, I commit to always bringing my work for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening to today's episode and keep an eye out for more art history content from Accessible Art History. All right, now that we're back, let's talk a bit about the year 1483. Historians often call this the year of the three kings, and it's exactly as stressful as it sounds. So to start things off, on April 9th, 1483, King Edward IV, a Yorkist, died suddenly at the age of 40. This placed his young son, Edward V, on the throne. However, because the new king was only 12, a regency council had to be appointed. As what often happens when power is up for grabs, tensions quickly rose in the court. Eventually, the king's uncle, Richard, took him and his brother, also named Richard, and placed them in the Tower of London for their alleged safety. On June 22, 1483, a sermon was given outside Old St. Paul's Cathedral by Ralph Shaw. He declared that Edward IV's children were actually illegitimate. Allegedly, Edward IV had married one of his other mistresses, Eleanor Butler, in secret before he married Elizabeth Woodenville and made her queen. This would make that second marriage invalid, and therefore all the children from this union illegitimate. Unfortunately, by this point, the bishop that performed the marriage, Edward IV, and Eleanor Butler were all dead, so there was no one left to confirm or deny the story. This news rocked England. Within days, a petition had been drawn up by the people of London, asking Richard to take the throne as the legitimate ruler. On June 26th, Richard agreed to take the crown, and his coronation occurred on July 6th, 1483. You may be wondering what happened to the young princes in the tower. Well, to be frank, no one really knows. What is known is that a member of the court and servants stopped seeing Edward and young Richard within a few months, so it had been assumed that the boys were dead and had maybe even been murdered by their uncle. Today, historians tend to agree that the boys were murdered sometime during the summer of 1483. While Richard III is the main suspect, others include the Duke of Buckingham and Henry Tudor himself. It's interesting to note that on July 17, 1674, the remains of two young boys were found buried underneath some stairs in the Tower of London. Despite public calls to do so, the remains have never been tested, so we don't know if they are actually the remains of the mysterious princes in the Tower. With the stain of possible murder hanging over Richard III's reign, Henry Tudor saw his opportunity for a smear campaign. On Christmas Day, 1483, at Rennes Cathedral in France, he pledged his intention to marry Elizabeth of York. She was the eldest daughter of Edward IV, and with the deaths of her brothers, was the heir to the Yorkist claim to the throne. Not only was this a good PR campaign, but it would lend an heir to legitimacy to his tenuous claim to the English throne. Over the next two years, Henry gathered supplies, rallied troops, and found support from both the French and English. His mother, despite being married to Yorkist Henry Stanley at the time, campaigned in England for his son to take his, quote, rightful place on the throne. By 1485, Henry had amassed an army of between five and 6,000 men. So it was time to march. From an auspicious birth to later exile, young Henry Tudor was seemingly always destined for a fascinating life. Next time, we'll discuss the Battle of Bosworth Field and his reign. 
See you then for another exciting episode of Crown on Canvas. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. Remember to check out the blog post linked in the show notes for images and sources. New episodes come out on Fridays, so make sure to follow at accessible.art.history on Instagram for updates. Until then, happy listening.